Welcome to Fig Tree Watchers. Tonight on the West Coast Gospel Hour, we will be discussing the four views of the rapture. That will be happening tonight here on the West Coast Gospel Hour. So stay tuned. It's going to be an interesting night. Hey, and uh, invite a friend. Let someone know that uh, we are going to have a great night. It's going to be good, everyone. So invite a friend. Let someone know that uh, the West Coast Gospel Hour is on. And as always, we welcome you. Now, uh, um, a couple of announcements we want to remind everyone of. You can watch uh, the replays of the West Coast Gospel Hour on FigTreeWatchers.com. Uh, or you can see them here on Instagram. Every live is saved. We've also now converted them over to podcast form in which you can see them on Anchor, Spotify, and uh, I, iTunes um, where you can uh, view it. And then, of course, uh, our, the new post uh, is up on Fig Tree Watchers called The Congruency of Rebellion. And then tonight we are discussing the rapture. Um, my co-host and partner in ministry, Io, has written a couple of articles there on the rapture. We encourage you to go view them um, as secondary sources. And uh, we're looking forward to having you visit the site. There's a lot of interaction there, things that you can do. The other thing that we really want to um, remind you of is that tomorrow night, it's Friday Night Prophecy here on the West Coast Gospel Hour. My co-host and partner in ministry, Io, will be joining us as we discuss the news events of the week and how they relate to Bible prophecy. So we hope that you'll be able to join us on that. Um, it is always a, a great night and uh, one in which uh, we do a lot of uh, learning, all of us do, about the different events that are going on. So just want to say thank you for uh, always joining us here on the West Coast Gospel Hour. And uh, may God bless you as we get ready to dive into the Word of God. So before we do, let's pray and seek the Lord. And uh, once again, thank you everybody that's here tonight. It's good to see you, Malaya and Munoz, and uh, it's Stan Strong and uh, Carolyn. It's great to see you. Um, David's here tonight too. Wow. Good, good, good. All right. Well, let's pray. Dear God, we ask, oh father, that you would intervene in our hearts tonight as we seek the scriptures to know you more and to understand what your will is in our life. God, we pray that, um, you will bring clarity to our hearts and our minds. Oh Lord. And that the studying we do tonight is not to be disruptive, but it is to bring clarity, O oh God, to your word. That we might know, O oh Lord, and understand um, what your will is for our life. God, we rejoice because prayers have been answered. Uh, we prayed for Johanna a couple of days ago, and she's being released tomorrow from the hospital. And we give thanks for that. We give thanks, God, that, that others um, are being touched and, and lives are being changed, O oh God, and, and there are prayers that are being answered. We pray for Jan Crest, who has um, been battling skin cancer, Lord, and, and there are other needs of people who are sick. 
We pray for um, our sister who is doing much, much better. Um, Grace, uh, who has been uh, has the cyst in her throat, she's been released from the hospital. We give you thanks for that, Lord, that you are answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we had a lot of good news coming in the body of Christ this week of prayers answered here on Instagram. Zestful Grace's cyst on her throat uh, has shrunk dramatically. She was released from the hospital. She got to go home. Um, and uh, Johanna, who is, is in the East Coast, um, she also is breathing better. The, the doctors are shocked. Uh, they're even talking about letting her go. They are like, we don't understand this. Those were the exact words that were, were said to me. We don't understand this. So God is performing some amazing miracles in answers to prayer of prayers that we've prayed right here on the Bible study. So that is great. Now, tonight, um, we are discussing, we're continuing part two in our First Thessalonians discussion that we had last night about the rapture. And if you remember, um, we discussed, does the idea of the rapture exist in Scripture? We pointed it out where it does in Scripture, and that's that's really exciting. Uh, and we learned a lot last night about that. But tonight, the question that we're really discussing is the four views of the rapture. But before we can do that, we need to understand one important factor in scripture, and I want to share these with you. This is um, from Mark 13, 33 through 37. Jesus is speaking. He says, be on guard, keep awake. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. That's interesting because Jesus is breaking this down very clearly for us, and he's reminding us that he is going to go away and he's going to leave the servants in charge. The, the servants of the kingdom of God are going to be in charge. And he's telling them, stay alert, stay awake, because you don't know when the master is going to return. Jesus is our master. He is our king, according to the scriptures. But this isn't the only scripture that talks about this. There's others that are also very, very clear. We have... Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. Okay, it's telling us that we're not in the darkness and we know that day is coming. We should anticipate, but for others, it's going to be like a thief. Um, Matthew 25, 13, watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. Uh, and these are all good scriptures. Revelation 3, 3. Remember then what you received and what you heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, this is interesting. Here, Jesus is saying, if you don't repent and wake up, you don't know the hour I will come against you. It's interesting. 
So he tells the church, there's an hour which I will come and get you. But there's also, he tells the unsaved, the unrepentant, there'll be an hour I will come against you. Um, and that is very interesting to point out in the theology. Now we know that from last night's passage of reading in 1 Thessalonians, we read this, that for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, it's there to comfort one another. Okay? Comfort one another. That's the key that I would say that everyone needs to underline there. Uh, in their Bible. The rapture is meant to comfort one another. It's not meant to stress you out. It's not meant to scare you. It's not meant to, uh, you know, create disharmony in the body of Christ. It's meant to comfort one another. And these are to be encouraging words when we talk about the rapture. Now, tonight we're going to look at the four views of the rapture. And I'm going to do my best to stay as objective as I can on this issue. Um, I realize that uh, I am biased uh, and I am letting you know that in advance. I am biased towards the pre-tribulation view. But what many of you don't know is that a long time ago I was post-trib. Then I went to mid-trib. Um, I never went to pre-wrath because it just didn't make any sense to me. I will be honest with you on that. To this day, I am confounded by the pre-wrath view of it um, because it makes the least sense in my mind. Um, and then um, the um, pre-trib is the view that I hold today that I, I can honestly say to you, there's nothing that is going to cause me to waver from that view. Um I, I, I have done way too much studying on this to be persuaded to a different view. Uh, and it, it would literally take Jesus himself standing in front of me saying, you got it wrong. And then I would repent. I mean, I would be like, okay, which one is it? Uh, you know, tell me which one, Lord. And, and I'd ask him a bunch of questions because that's the only way I could possibly resolve it. But through the scriptures, what do we have in front of us? My view is the pre-tribulation view of the rapture. But let's look at this objectively, um, if we can tonight. And let's try to remember also that we need to do this in love. Um, this is, I think, one of the most important things we can do as Christians is to do this in absolute love. So um, the first view that we're going to look at is, I, I'm going to say the mid-tribulation or we're going to also include the pre-wrath view of this in there. Um, let's take a look at some of the ideas of it first. The mid-tribulation view is the view most commonly, and I'm going to use the common view here, um, that the church will be present uh, during the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years of it. 
They view the second half as the great tribulation. And they believe that they will be raptured at the halfway mark of the tribulation as the two witnesses are killed and then three days later are brought back to life according to Revelation 11 as the way they see it. And then at that point, the rapture will take place and then there'll be the rest of the tribulation in which the, the, the wrath of God is put upon them. Now, if you're pre-wrath, you're even later than that point. And you believe that your rapture it takes place between the sixth and the seventh seal of the tribulation, if you're the pre-wrath view. And once again, I'm going to try to be as objective as I can in explaining these different views. The main line of support for these views is that the church is seen to be part of the tribulation spoken of in Matthew 24. Um, the elect spoken of there are not the Jews. So both to the mid-trib and um, view and the, the pre-wrath view, the elect in Matthew 24 is the church. It's not the Jews. But saints in the general sense, and so includes the church in Matthew 24 and 22, even though the ch word church is not mentioned at all. The seal judgments and trumpet judgments of Revelation are not divine judgments, but are natural judgments, okay? Um, which I have a hard time with, but we'll get to that in a moment. They're, they're not d divine, but natural judgments um, of Revelation. Uh, therefore, there's no need for the church to be absent for these that take place in the first half of the tribulation. But the seventh and final trumpet opens the beginning of the outpouring of the bowls of divine wrath. The seventh trumpet of Revelation eleven fifteen is identified with the trumpets of Matthew 24, 31 and 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Remember, this is their view, okay? And the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Jesus' statement in Matthew 24, 29, after the tribulation of those days, is taken to indicate a shift from the natural forms of the tribulation of the first half to the divine wrath of God being poured out in the second half. For since God's wrath is not for the church, uh, Romans 5, 9, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Revelation 3, 10. God will remove the church from the earth just prior to the outpouring of his wrath. And as I mentioned, if you belong to the pre-wrath view, you're after the abomination of desolation. You're between the sixth and the seventh seal. And so you're just before the wrath of, of what they see in those, in those views. The problem, the problem, the objective problem with both of these views is that there's no eminency of the unknown hour taking place. Okay? And let me point this out to you. If you believe that at the mid-tribulation point, 
the two witnesses are killed. And three days later, three and a half days later, you're raptured up. And from that point forward, you can count three and a half years and you know when the end of the tribulation is. And what's even better than that is the moment the peace treaty is signed by the Antichrist, you know that you have three and a half years plus three and a half days and boom, that's when the rapture is going to happen according to the mid-tribulation view. And there's no argument about it. I mean, that's exactly when they're doing. And they're date-sitting. Now, it's ironic because you'll know the day and the hour, literally. In fact, you'll know the half day in the middle of the afternoon. It's three and a half years and three and a half days, and boom, it's right there. There's no argument about it. It's the ultimate in date setting, which is ironic because they're always accusing pre-tribulation rapture people of, of doing that. And there are a few knuckleheads that do that. We're not supposed to set any dates. And quite frankly, anyone who does is wrong as we started out this Bible study because no one knows the hour or the day. Okay, no one does. Now, the other thing that's interesting about the pre-wrath view is they're telling you it's between the sixth and the seventh seal. They're telling you right when it takes place. And they're also giving you a, a time frame of when that judgment. So you know after the abomination of desolation, you know when the last part is done, that when it's going to begin and you can be already going in there. Here's the problem for both of them also. And this is the second issue that really, really caused me to struggle with the mid-trib and definitely the pre-wrath view. And that is in Revelation. That is the 1260 days that you have in which the church in Revelation, uh, let me get there real quick. And it just came to me and I totally forgot about this, but I wanted to bring this up. Um, and that is in the... After the two witnesses, you have this point where the church and the lady in Revelation 12, they're thrown down. And the woman and the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth and he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the man-child. And this is in verse 13 of chapter 12. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourishing for a time and a time and a half. That's 1260 days. Okay. Think about this for a moment. 1260 days. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, and he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth swallowed its mouth and swallowed up the flood with which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ." So this is in the middle of the tribulation. It's at the abomination of desolation. The woman flees Israel. She goes into the desert. Some say it's Petra where she goes to. 
um, that she flees there, and it's for 1260 days. Here's a major problem with the pre-wrath view. How come these Christians didn't get raptured between the fifth and the sixth seal? Why do they have to live out the remaining 1260 days? Do you understand that? How logical, how illogical that is. These are Christians. They're there for the final three and a half years. How come they don't get raptured out? It's a major problem for the pre-wrath view. It's a major problem. Um, and the fact that there's no eminency, there's no eminent rapture that takes place at, at a moment's notice without anyone knowing that it can come at any moment. It's the urgency of it. It's gonna happen at any second, okay? That's another thing that's taken out. Also, if it's at the midway tribulation view, at three and a half days as the common view is, and, and I understand there's different views within that mid-tribulation view. I'm just giving you the overall common view. So bear with me if you're on one of these views and you're like, you didn't represent my view right. I'm giving the overall view on these, okay? That is kind of the generic view, but it's consistently held through. Um, why did they also, these Christians that fled in the desert, that God spared, why did they not get raptured? And uh, there's a question here. Are they false Christians, those who go through the trib? No, no. And that's the point that I'm making. They are believers. They believe in, in there. How do we know? Because he says, and the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So she has the testimony of Jesus Christ and the rest of her offspring have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay? And many believe, many scholars believe that what is referring to there is that this is Israel and what's her offspring of Israel is the church, the, the, rem the remnant of it. Um, and that is one of the, the interesting things. So these are believers that have come because of Israel, the woman giving birth to Christ. And out of Christ came, we are the offspring. We are the offspring of Jesus Christ, those who believe in him. Um, very interesting part, but it does raise some questions about the pre-wrath and the mid-trib view. Let's go look at the post-tribulation view. Uh, in this view, the church will go through the tribulation rather than being raptured out before or in the middle of the tribulation. Thus, the rapture of the church and the resurrection of all dead saints occur at the same time at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Well, we got a problem there. So we'll look at that in just a moment. The unitary event is distinguished by... First, um, a coming for the saints in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and the immediately uh, a coming with the saints. So this is what um, is commonly referred to um, by one Bible scholar as the snack lunch marriage feast. He says, you went up, you had your marriage feast snack lunch with Jesus and whoosh, you came right down. Okay, 
It's up and down, right? That quickly. Um, and he doesn't call the marriage a feast. He calls it a snack lunch. He says, I mean, and, and, and it's kind of humorous. I get it. Um, but this is what they believe. And so um, you immediately go up and you come down. And then generally, uh, the post-tribulation see the church as having replaced national Israel. And so you have this common view of replacement theology with those who are post-tribulation rapture, amillennialists, and preterists. Uh, and the main lines of support, where do they get this support? Well, they, they get this from the scripture in, in certain places. Uh, the church is never told that it is to escape the tribulation. Okay. Um, okay. You're right. They're, they're absolutely right. There's no scripture that says the church will escape the tribulation. Okay. Although it's, it's needlepoint. And what I mean by that is, um, it's technically wrong what they're saying there. Okay. Um, the Greek word, uh, Theopus tribulation is used 55 times in the New Testament and 47 of these relate to tribulation to be endured by the saints. Um, so therefore, we have to go through the tribulation according to that. So it's not just a verse, but they're saying that it, it, we have to go through it. Um, the same word is used in Matthew 24, 21 of the great tribulation. Okay, um, that, that is absolutely correct what they're saying there. Um, but it doesn't interfere with the pre-trib view, and I'll get to that in a moment. And in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 describes the church meeting the Lord in the air, but does not say that the Lord takes the church out to heaven for three and a half years or seven years. Okay, yes, technically that is correct, but also very much incorrect. And we'll, we'll go to the verse on that. Um, Throughout Revelation 6.18, the people of God are present, and this includes the church. No, it doesn't. Actually, the church is stopped mentioned in Revelation after chapter 4. Uh, in fact, after chapter 3. In chapter 4 on, the church is not mentioned again in Revelation. So that's a major problem for them. And there's no reason to exclude the church from these tribulation passages. Yes, there is. Because this is the, the problem why the pre-wrath people and the mid-tribulation people who hold that view don't hold to the post-tribulation view. And that is, we're not destined to the wrath. It's the one thing we all agree on, except for the post-tribulation people. They believe that they are for the wrath. That the wrath is to come upon them. And they look forward to having the wrath of God come on them for the whole tribulation. At least the mid-tribulation people are like, well, it's at the, it's the, it stops at the great tribulation because that's the wrath of God. Um, and even the pre-wrath people, I mean, their name is like pre-wrath because they even know in the scripture, well, the wrath of God is in for us. So they manipulate it down to a certain time segment, which is really three quarters of the tribulation is, is over before they finally get to be raptured. Um, the problem with all these views is that the tribulation itself, the seven years, is a complete bummer experience. There's not this any moment in which the wrath of God is not being poured out on the people of earth. Okay? 
And we're gonna, we're gonna examine that in just a moment. So let's go back to a couple of things that they brought out. The church will go to the tribulation rather than being raptured out before the middle or the um, segment that the pre-wrath people believe in. Thus the rapture of the church of the resurrection of all the dead saints occurs at the same time. Okay? Stop. Okay? Because that statement right there is one of the statements that really caused me to look at the pre-tribulational rapture view. And I want you to understand this. Four years ago, I met Io from Himitsu Study online and would begin to pepper him with questions, all right? Um, and Io was gracious enough to respond to it. What finally caused me to, to really turn to the view of the pre-tribulation rapture, and I was already in that view four years ago, but I was struggling with certain aspects of it, what finally solidified it for me was the resurrection of the dead. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this to you. Put aside the rapture segment of it. Look at the resurrection of the dead. Remember what the Bible says, the dead in Christ, Christ rise first, and then we who remain will be caught up with them, okay? So in order for you to look at the rapture, you must look at the resurrection of the dead first. The resurrection of the dead takes place before the rapture. And this is so important for you to understand. So instead of trying to track the rapture, my argument is track the resurrection of the dead first. And this is where the post-tribulation view really falls apart, okay? Why? Well, when we get into the, the saints that are being resurrected at the end of the tribulation, okay? And we look at this and we're looking at um, chapter 21 right there and, and chapter 20 and chapter 19. You see the saints reign. And he says in verse four of, of chapter 20, and I saw the thrones and they that sat on them and the judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the worship of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were finished. Okay, so what is it saying there in this passage? It's saying that the ones who were killed during the tribulation, who did not take the mark of the beast, who had the testimony for Jesus Christ, they were resurrected at the end of the tribulation. Those who were beheaded. Notice who it's not saying was there everybody else before them. Do you understand that? Listen to that again. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live 
again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now, we understand that the resurrection of the dead, what it means by the first resurrection is because Christ is the first resurrection, whenever someone is resurrected, it's the first for them because it's done in Christ. You're resurrected in Christ. And that's what that phrase means there. So he says, blessed and holy is he who is part of the first resurrection. Okay? Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, here's the interesting part. Earlier in Revelation, it promises those who believe that they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. But it's saying here that the only people who reign with Christ are those who were resurrected at the end who were beheaded. Well, what about my dad? He's not been beheaded. He's not gone through the tribulation. He's a saint. Are you saying that they've not been resurrected and they'll have to go all the way to the end? No. It's telling you a select group here at the end of the tribulation was resurrected. The tribulation saints were brought back to life. They were given at that time their new bodies, which means that the other resurrection of the dead for all those who died up until the rapture, okay, had to be resurrected pre-tribulation. You see this? Are, are you following me here? It's the resurrection of the dead that proves the pre-tribulation rapture. Because these all died during the tribulation. So there has to have been a mar moment in which the other dead were resurrected before the tribulation. And this scripture is articulating that. Okay, I think you guys are getting it. I'm starting to see some, some hearts flying up on the screen. Um, and that is one of the reasons why this is important. The second thing is, is once again, this idea that we can't predict the coming of the Lord. We can't. And it's, it's unknown hour and he's going to come in and he's going to surprise us. And we don't know the time when Jesus is going to return and gather his church. Once again, I'm going to argue with you on something. If we know when the Antichrist makes his covenant, we know for a fact in the Bible, it says that seven years later will be the end of the tribulation. He has seven years. Once he makes that covenant with Israel for the peace treaty, then we know that we have another three and a half years. The abomination of desolation takes place. And then we have three and a half more years, right? That uh, from the abomination of desolation to the end of the tribulation. So we have seven years. You could mark that on a calendar and know exactly when Jesus' second coming is. So when it's talking about this unknown hour, it's not talking about the second coming where Christ lands, establishes his kingdom. It's talking about the unknown hour of Christ gathering his saints. And that is what the rapture is really about. And then there's the third mark of it. How can anyone claim they're comforted by knowing that they get to go through the tribulation? 
How does that comfort you? Hey, God loves you so much. You believe in Jesus. And guess what? The rapture is going to happen at the end of the tribulation after everything. All the horrors. You're going to have to endure it all. You're going to have to go through it all. Congratulations. Comfort one another with these words. Are you nuts? I, I'm not comforted at all. I'm like, man, I sure hope I don't deny Christ during that time. I'm scared to death. I don't want to go through the tribulation. I don't want to endure that. You know, I mean, that's kind of nuts to say comfort one another with these words when you're telling them they're going to have to go through the whole tribulation. And I think this is what the prophet Zephaniah meant by this. So let's turn to Zephaniah, if you don't mind. Taking you to the Old Testament. Remember, I mentioned this last night in last night's Bible study. In Zephaniah, he says this very interesting thing in chapter 2. And he's chapter 1 is really about uh, the tribulation. It talks about that it's a day of wrath, a day of trouble, a day of distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness. That's in chapter 1 that I'm reading from. Um, a day of clouds and thick clouds, a day of trumpet and alarm, okay? Now, he says in chapter 2, he says in verse 1, Gather yourselves together, yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like a shaft, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. What is it saying? Gather together before... The Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. So in Zephaniah, it's telling you, look, all you who are 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 following the Lord, who are meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice, who are seeking righteousness, who are seeking humility, it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. The tribulation, the whole tribulation, is the Lord's anger. And one of the common misconceptions about the pre-wrath view is, they're like, well, the wrath of God opens begins when Jesus opens up the seventh seal, Right? Well, how come it doesn't begin with him opening up the first seal? Why is it that it begins with that one? And let me let me explain that to you real quick because I brought this up and I should have brought this up earlier. Um, in Revelation, when he's talking about the seals there, it's the sixth seal that that is, when it's there, it says this will pour out in verse 16 and said to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the day the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand so in the sixth seal the wrath has already come has come past tense but they're saying well it's in between the sixth and the seventh seal well, what happens in between the sixth and the seventh seal? The 144,000 are sealed of Israel. The righteous ones are sealed in Israel. 
So how can that be? You know, and they're saying, well, that's the ceiling of those who are raptured. No, they're going out to witness even more into the tribulation. The other thing is that Jesus is the one who opens up the seals. It begins with the first seal, the Antichrist. So it's not a natural thing as the um, mid-trib people like to describe. It's not natural. It's unnatural because Jesus is doing it. Jesus is causing it. He's opening up the seals. It's not a natural event that just happened to be. Jesus is the one who takes the scrolls out of the right hand of the Father and opens them up. And the first one is the Antichrist. And the second one is conflict on the earth. The third one is scarcity on the earth, inflation. You don't like Joe Biden's 39% inflation rate? Hey, pretty soon you can't even buy a loaf of bread, you know? And then there's widespread death on the earth. You don't like COVID? Well, wait till this comes. You're really not going to like it. So don't tell me that it's just natural events. There's nothing to do with God. God is sovereign and nothing happens on the earth without his will. You know, this is the one thing I take away from that I've, I've kept from Calvinism. The sovereignty of God. Because I can find that throughout scripture. It's everywhere. God is sovereign and nothing escapes his will. Nothing. And we have to believe that. And it's his will that this is being done. It's the wrath of God revealed from heaven. Why? For all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. That's Romans 1.18. So we have this. Now, here's the idea also that they bring up um, in the... It's the trumpet, the last trumpet. So for those who, who believe in the mid-trib or, or pre-wrath view is the last trumpet. And they're assuming that every time a trumpet is mentioned in the Bible, it has to do with that last trumpet. That's a big assumption. That would be like me saying every time witnesses is mentioned in the Bible, it's referring to the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. You know, where it says, you are my witnesses. In, in the Old Testament, it's referring to the two witnesses. Well, that's illogical and it's not correct. You can't make that assumption just because something is a trumpet and you go, that's the last trumpet mentioned that it's referring there. The other thing is the trumpet that is referred in Thessalonians is the trumpet of God, not the trumpet of angels being blown. It's a different trumpet. In fact, we just read from Zephaniah and yesterday we read from Joel. There's two trumpets that are sounded off and one of them says, sound the alarm, blow the trumpet. One is a warning trumpet. Well, where is that in the book of Revelation? You know, the other one is a trumpet of God blown. Gather the sacred assembly. So like the trumpet of God in Exodus 19, that is where Paul is getting this in 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, that we are talking about. It is the trumpet of God and it is a distinctively different trumpet than the trumpet that is mentioned later on in Revelation that everyone goes, that's the last trumpet. That's where, that's where it's supposed to happen. See, that's the last one. Um, and that's not the case um, because it is a different trumpet.
and it's blown by a completely different person. Um, or a being, I should say. I shouldn't say person because God is not a person, but a different being. And that's something to take a look at. Look, I'm not here to, and I want to make this very clear. If you are pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib or pre-wrath view, that has nothing to do with your salvation. I want to make that really clear. If you get all upset with people and you're like, they're going to hell because they're pre-trib or they're going to hell because they're post-trib or they're going to hell because they're this. You are espousing judgment that is not your place to espouse. Okay? God is the one who decides who's going to hell. And by the way, being pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib or pre-wrath is not a prerequisite for hell. Okay? What is the prerequisite for hell? It's not believing that Jesus is God and that he was raised from the dead and that he has brought you eternal life. It's not believing Jesus, that he is God. It's not believing that Christ died for your sins and that he's the only path for your eternal life. It's not following after Jesus. You see, you have to fall after Jesus. You have to do, you have to understand, I'm sorry, not do, but you have to understand that it is a belief that Jesus is God and he rose from the dead to grant you eternal life. And it's in his resurrection that we have the promise that one day we will be resurrected from our decaying bodies and the incorruptible, the, the corruptible will become incorruptible. That's the hope that we have. That's the great hope. And so we should discuss this. We should study it eminently. We should prepare ourselves. Why? Because we don't know the hour. And the one thing that I believe the rapture does better than anything is it gets Christians to think about, am I ready if Christ came right now? Is my life ready? to follow Jesus. And look, if you're not a Christian, you should be thinking about this because you should be examining your life and going, man, would I get left behind? And do I want to get left behind? Like, why would you want to be left behind for the destruction and mayhem that is coming, right? Why would you be so stupid as to want to be left behind for that? I remember having a discussion with a, with a, um, a pagan girl and she asked me the question, well, when Satan falls and the angels are back, will we be able to have sex with them? And will I be able to produce a Nephilim offspring? I'm like, so you want to have sex with an angel and you want to have a Nephilim offspring? Yes. And I said, do you understand that everything we understand about that situation, no one lives. That, like the, the woman who gives birth, to these, no, they don't live through it. They die. So you want to have this one Nephilim child and you want to die in birth. And she looked at me and she goes, what? I'm like, yeah. I mean, that's what was given because you're producing a giant out of you. Do you really want to do that? And she's like, I'm like, it, it's going to be worse than aliens. You know, the movie aliens where the, where the creatures came out of everyone's belly. It's going to be like that, but worse. And she looked at me with horror in her eyes going, I didn't think about that. <laughs> like, yeah, because Satan just sounds so cool, right? <clears throat>
there are those who are nuts enough to want to stay during the tribulation because they actually are under the naive idea that they will be part and they will defeat God because they just hate God. They do. And that's why the wrath of God is for them. It's not for the church. That's why he keeps saying, the you're not appointed to wrath. You're not. It's for those who are ungodly and unrighteousness, who are unrighteous and suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Every day, you should examine your heart and say, Jesus, if you were coming today, would I be ready? That's the question that I think is the best part of the rapture view. It's not, well, I got until the midway through that to get everything right with God midway through the tribulation. No. No. And here's another argument that I, that I heard uh, a few weeks ago where the guy was like, the pre-tribulation rapture view is the reason why everyone's going to fall away. Because the raptures are going to come, they're going to have to go through the tribulation, and they're just going to go, well, that just proves the Bible wrong, and I'm not going to believe it anymore. No, no, in fact, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, because they wanted their ears tickled, and because they wanted to embrace doctrine of demons, they wanted false teaching, their, God hardened their heart against him. Hardened their heart against him. Those who are in the pre-tribulation rapture view, they love the Lord. They're looking forward to it. And says, in fact, that's one of the scriptures in Philippians, those who are loving his return. We're loving it. We're wanting him to return. We're looking at it with anticipation and going, come on, Jesus, come get us. We're ready. We want you. We want to be with you. We're not the cause of the great falling away. And it's, and it's not a, a sickness that exists in us to yearn to be with Jesus. It's actually a cool thing. So I disagree with those who, who say that because number one, it's not what the scripture says. The scripture doesn't say it's because of the pre-tribulation, I can't even say it tonight, pre-tribulation rapture view that people fall away. It doesn't say that. It actually says what their real reason is. is because they wanted to sin. They want to do evil. Their hearts are hardened against God. They embrace the Antichrist. They want to worship the Antichrist. They want to do everything that's unnatural and ungodly. And so God gives them over to a debased mind. That's what Romans talks about. Romans 1, if you read the rest of that chapter. In fact, I encourage anyone who really wants to understand the idea of depravity you need to read Romans chapter 1. You really need to understand what it means, why God is, is upset. And you read that chapter and you go, man, I don't want to be one of those guys. And then he gets to the end of it and he says, you know what? I'm even going after those who, in, who endorsed and encouraged the behavior, who didn't stand against it. You're like, whoa, I better stand against it. I better stand up and be counted. Follow Jesus. Pursue Christ. That's what matters. That's what really matters. Look, um, I'm going to end with this.
because I'm almost out of time. A couple of great resources that I'm going to recommend to you. Number one, um, it's a book by uh, John F. Wolverd. He's dead. I like dead guys a lot. Um, I agree with Jack Hibbs on that. They can't change their mind. Um, he wrote a book called The Rapture Question. The Rapture Question. Excellent book. But the best book that I have read in a really, really, really long time and strongly recommend it on this because he breaks it down into such detail that you're just like, wow. And he does it great. It's easy read. He has big black bullet points for you to follow it with and everything. It's called The Rapture. Do not be deceived by Pastor Billy Crone. Billy Crone. And I strongly recommend it. It's really cool. He actually wrote another one called The Seals that's in this series. Um, I, I would I would love to interview this guy one day. It would be like a, a dream. Um, but it's an excellent, excellent book. And I recommend it for you. Uh, you should have it in your library. You should go through it. And in that book, he breaks down the views, um, explains everything, and just from beginning to end, the whole rapture argument. Um, and by the time you get done with it, you go, yeah, all right. Yeah, it's really good. In fact, um, it's funny. A lot of the stuff that Himitsu has been writing for the last four or five years, it's in here. It's kind of cool. I, I was chuckling. Like Himitsu is a, a way, Io from Himitsu study is way ahead of his time. So, um, and then another one that I recommend, which is a good site, is Defending the Preacher Rapture. It's called Rapture Ready. I recommend you go there. Guy's got some very valid points to make. Um, Ties it all with scripture. But finally, the best resource you can have. It's this book. It's called the Bible. Read it. That way you're insured not to be deceived. Because out of all the books, this is the one that convinced me the most. Good night, everyone. Take care and God bless. Thanks for watching the West Coast Gospel Hour here on Fig Tree Watchers. And... Remember, ask yourself, are you ready? Are you really ready for Jesus to come? Good night.